Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Nightlight Radio. I'm your host, David Collis. Please sit back, relax, and let's spend the next two hours getting to know my special guest, Dana Burkholder. Dana played collegiate volleyball for the University of Arizona. She was a Division I first-team All-American, participated in the Final Four Championship, and later went on to play professional volleyball in Italy. Upon retiring from professional volleyball, Dana became assistant volleyball coach at the University of Arizona. In 2014, Dana founded Forza One, a Southern California junior volleyball club with her business partner, and she is the general manager and head coach of Forza One. To date, Forza One has 1,500 club members and for the past five years has been considered one of the top volleyball clubs in Southern California. In 2019, her 18 girls team was ranked fifth in the nation and the champions of Southern California. Alongside her athletic career and achievements, Dana was always involved with religion and spirituality. She consistently developed a side of her personality and now incorporates that wisdom into her coaching. Included in her regular athletic training is a more expansive program that includes mindfulness, meditation, and heart coherence. She feels these inner technologies, along with emotional clarity, physical and mental alignment, and focused action are necessary to achieve the highest levels of performance. Dana is passionate about connecting her athletes and families to their strengths, inner technology and truth, and she constantly reminds them of who they are so they can progress beyond their self-imposed limitations. Dana is a motivational speaker and life coach. In addition, she provides personal volleyball coaching and partnerships. Dana, welcome to Nightlight with David Collis. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me tonight. It's it's a real pleasure to be on uh, your program and, you know, add to the light in whatever way that I can. Oh, that's great. Hey, listen, you have a very illustrious career. There's a lot going on here. So um, maybe we can go ahead and start a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you have done and um, how your kind of athletic kind of path started to develop. 
Yeah, you know, I've, I've just been an athlete, I feel like, since I was born. Uh, you know, I have three older brothers and sisters, and they all played sports, and so I just tagged along with them right from the start and, you know, feel like it, it kind of put me in an observer mode right from the get-go. I just remember, like, sitting in the car in the back, kind of observing my brothers and sisters as they were on their way to the soccer tournament or the baseball game, and the excitement and energy, I think, um, of sports and of that kind of connective environment just caught my attention really early. And, you know, I remember being a, a little girl on the baseball fields and, uh, you know, just kind of being amazed at the whole scale of of the fields and all the people and the energy. And uh, it was really just hooked from a young age. And I really progressed through a lot of different sports. I was really lucky to be a talented uh, runner. I, I was a national champion in track and field and cross country when I was a youth. And then um, we, we ended up relocating as a family and I got into volleyball. And, you know, I just kind of never looked back from there. It's been such a wonderful sport for me. And um, it is such a, a community sport, you know, the way the ball moves through space and the way that you, you know, anticipate and um, strategize in the game is, is so much fun. It just really kind of brought me to life, really. And I was always a setter, which is kind of, you know, the quarterback of, of football. And so I was able to really apply myself, my mental side, my emotional side, my spiritual side to being a leader and, you know, really figuring out how to approach the game and, and create success. So, yeah, sports, is, sports has been a really big part of my life ever since I was young. So when did volleyball become the sport that you focused in on? Uh, well, when I was in sixth grade, we moved, and uh, I, I literally was a national champion runner. And uh, the first sport in the fall season for my school was volleyball, and I started playing, and it was like, okay, I love this sport. I love my coach. I love my team. I love the games. I love serving. I love the whole thing. And all of a sudden, I was like, hey, Mom, I don't think I want to run anymore. And she's like, no, you're, like, really good at it. And I'm like, yeah, my back kind of hurts when I run. I'm pretty sure I was making that up. And um, so it just I slowly stopped playing um, uh, track and field. But I still was involved. Like, I still played tennis and golf, and I actually ran a little cross country in high school. I played basketball next door with my neighbors. We played roller hockey out front. You know, it's just, it's been, it's been in my blood from the very beginning. Yeah, I can see that. So you obviously have a lot of talent when it comes to athletics. And, but there's other things that are involved with becoming a championship uh, athlete. And so maybe you can kind of take us through what you did to get uh, as good as you did. Mm, that's such a so great like, question. What, were you training and what was the training and what was the practice and what was kind of the, how did you learn to really kind of play the game and how did you become like one with it? Cause you mentioned that you were like the quarterback, the setter for volleyball. And that's a very uh, specific uh, position that you needed to play. And you, you relate to it as the quarterback. Well, that, that means you're running the team. So, you know, on top of like all the intuition and the skill sets to become a setter, there were all those other issues that you needed to develop as well. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it started early. I think inclusion um, was a real big driver for me. You know, I was the, the baby in the family and there was a lot going on and my family was all about sports. And so the way for me to kind of insert myself into that paradigm <clears throat> and to feel included and inclusive 
in some kind of momentum in my community was really through sports. And I remember specifically that my sisters would play pepper, which is when you play volleyball back and forth with one other person and they wouldn't let me play. They, you know, just say I was too young. I wasn't good enough. You know, I was just the annoying little sister. And um, I just kept asking, like, let me play, let me play. And, you know, eventually they'd let me play. And then they'd be like, well, whoever makes a mistake is out, you know, and we'd rotate. And so every time there was a mistake, it was always my fault. So I was always out. And so, uh, you know, I learned very quickly that I had to be good at what I did to, you know, fit in and to be included in those activities that I wanted to be a part of. And I think that's true for a lot of kids. You know, I see that sports is a, is a social avenue to have a community and to find friends that, you know, maybe align with you and maybe the kids at school don't necessarily do that or, you know, you don't have a lot of, a lot of other social opportunities. So I think this idea of inclusiveness is, is really important. You know, I think the other piece was just that I got a lot of attention for, for my sport activity. You know, I was lucky to, to really have a kind of a natural talent and athletic build and I was quite fast. And so, you know, people really recognized and appreciated my talent. And so that was a really big motivator for me. And I think it's so important for kids to feel that kind of uh, motivation. And, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what, what made me the player that I was, what made me an extraordinary athlete. And the support that I got was really a huge part of that. Um, you know, I, re- I just remember my family being really excited on the sidelines for me throughout my career. <clears throat> I remember, you know, putting my medals up and my friends thinking those were cool in my bedroom. Um, I remember being able to travel for tournaments and, and just feeling like that was an honor. And I wanted to really build that part of my life. And I just really valued what it was bringing to me. And so I think those two things. Um, and then I think, you know, just that it, it really kind of came naturally to me and I just enjoyed it. I really, I saw a lot of progress. You know, I remember I'd really not played a lot of volleyball when I moved to Bakersfield <clears throat> and uh, right away I was one of the best players on the team because I was quick and I just had good reactions. And then they put me in the setter position because the setter needs to be kind of quick and be reactive. And I was actually a quite, quite shy kid. Um, I didn't have like the loudest voice and I wasn't that, you know, outgoing necessarily, but that position I think really facilitated a lot of personal growth for me. And I was really lucky to have a great coach that first year who really, you know, just kind of brought up my personality, made me feel welcome to the community and um, believed in me. So I think there's singular people in your life that help you to become a champion, help you see that you can become a champion. And then, you know, that person might change in the future, but there seems to be always, I think, one person behind a champion. <clears throat> Again, that doesn't have to be one person, but it's one person kind of at a time. Um, and then, you know, as I went into high school, I think that's when I really started to develop my competitive side because as a freshman, I didn't make the varsity team. And, you know, I was a pretty good player all throughout my youth career leading up to that. And not only did I make the JV team, but I didn't play all the time. And, I mean, I just remember being so incredibly motivated to get on the varsity team and to prove to everybody that, you know, I was good enough and I could do it and I could carry the responsibility. And all those things that you start to think about when you're, you know, moving into that, those teen years, you know. And so um, I, I just developed a new drive. I remember I started doing workouts outside, uh, you know, of practice and, you know, running laps around the neighborhood with my sisters and asking them to play volleyball with me more. 
And so um, I just started to formulate goals in my mind. And I think that's because I, for the first time, like had one that I didn't reach. And so that failure wasn't really a failure, but to a kid, it's a failure. Um, you know, it kind of went like, well, hey, you know, if you want to be good at this, you, you got to do, you got to put some extra work in. And so I think that was a real turning point. Um, I ended up changing uh, high schools and, uh, you know, just kind of shot to, to the roof right from there. I was really lucky to play for a great coach and a good program. And it's just the, the whole environment fueled me, I think, to um, become better. And for whatever reason, I just accelerated really quickly. And then I was uh, invited to try out for the junior national team. And I made that team as a junior in high school. And that was sort of the next big step for me in terms of the psychology of what I could become in the psychology of sport um, in terms of an identity that I might be able to develop and what it would take to get there. And so um, I just, I became increasingly motivated and I think just really passionate about the game. I remember that my, my commitment to practices started to change that around that time when I was a junior, I happened to be on a really good team. We won the national championship that year. And um, so that was where competitiveness kind of turned into motivation and intrinsic understanding of what uh, sports could do for me as a person. <clears throat> And uh, what's interesting yeah. is that when we won when we won that national championship, um, you know there was there was a lot of challenges with that team, and I don't remember feeling uh, that overwhelmed with like happiness uh, when we won. It was obviously an amazing experience, but it was like something was not quite there. And so I, I kind of had this epiphany in that moment that that I loved sports, but that it could be a lot more. And that's when I really started to become interested in community and in people and in, like, really becoming a learner. And so one of the reasons why I chose the University of Arizona was because I really liked the coaches. I liked the kinds of people they recruited. I liked the, the focus on technique and development. And um, I think that really changed my trajectory as, as, a, as, as an individual and as an athlete. And I really turned into a learner, and I think I've been a lifelong learner ever since. And I think that's really where the story ends, is just that I just became really passionate about learning everything I possibly could to help me, you know, achieve the goals I set out for myself in college and beyond and to, um, to really just maximize what I could do. And I think more importantly, you know, do it with a group of people that I was really connected to and, um, you know, was just helping in some way to achieve something greater than, than we could as individuals. You know, you bring up all kinds of really good issues and points, and that is, you know, there's a lot of little things that start to snowball. So you had the coaches, you had – the successes, you had the motivation, you started to have the support, and all of that starts to come together, and it starts to coalesce into something much bigger and grander. So, and then you're also self-motivated, and I find that, you know, really good athletes are motivated. There's an internal fire of which they seem to just can't put, a, you know, they can't dis, uh, extinguish that fire, and it sounds like you had a fire inside of you that you really felt like this was a place that you can excel in. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point. You know, I've always been kind of a high motor person and just always had a lot of energy and been really active. And sports was really a great place for me to channel all that energy. And, um, you know, like numerology-wise, I'm a nine, you know, which is just kind of a leadership number through and through. And um, and even though I was really a quite a shy kid, 
um, that sports element really brought out that part of my personality. And um, I just started to expand as a person. And it was, it was really cool, you know, just kind of developing all that understanding as a youth and seeing where I could have value. Talk to me a little bit about some of the coaches that you had that were very instrumental in helping you along the way or showing you something or encouraging you or, you know, just kind of maybe the way that they were that kind of activated something in you and really kind of motivated you in some way. Hmm. Gosh, you know, I really feel like every coach, even the ones that, you know, maybe weren't my favorite, all had certain qualities that I really admired And I always, you know, ran or played or jumped higher for my coaches in one way or another. And, uh, like, you know, just starting out with my track and field coaches, I had a couple different ones. And I just remember feeling like they were really, really good people that really cared about us. You know, like they ran with us. They talked us through it. They gave me that attention that allowed me to understand that, that what I was doing mattered, you know, like I was really important to them. And uh, I didn't know anything about running. I mean, obviously they taught me how to move my arms and run right and stuff, but it was, it was really their attention to detail and their, their passion for that, 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 I don't know, just, it made me feel really important. I remember that, that first really big sports experience for me was, was really foundational. And then, um, in uh, sixth grade, my first year of volleyball, she wasn't necessarily like the best volleyball coach ever, but she was just such a caring person. And I just remember feeling like this kindness from her that made me feel, hmm, it just made me feel welcome, you know, and I had just moved into a brand new community and uh, there was something so cool about how she treated the team. Like we were her family. And again, it's not like, the volleyball was that great, you know, sixth grade volleyball. And she was, you know, not that, you know, famous of a volleyball coach or anything. And at the same time, my volleyball experience was great and it really impacted my life. And then um, my high school coach and and a lot of times my club coach um, was just one of the most amazing people in terms of her passion and love for the sport. Like she would die for volleyball and would die for her players. And I remember she would, you know, train us on defense and just like, you know, try to just, push us to our maximum, you know, to be able to help us get better at the skill and be able to, to show up and, and win games. And um, I just, I've always appreciated that passion. And I think I learned a lot about passion and learned to express my own passion for the game. I was a very, very fiery player. You know, people said sometimes like I was too hot when I played or uh, I, I was too intense or, or that I played like a guy because I played so hard, you know? And so uh, I think I picked up a lot of that from her. And then in college, you know, we had a couple of different coaches. Um, the head coach, Dave Rubio was really just, I think, passionate about the systems of the game, the technique of the game and, you know, really trying to analyze all the pieces and, and put it all together in a way that, you know, would, would beat some really sophisticated opponents in the PAC 10 and across the country. And, you know, he just really proved to me that that works because my first year we were um, uh, uh, top 32, then we were top 16, then we were top eight, and we were top final four. So we incrementally increased each year, and it, it was really due to his his dedication to his systems and um, the roles that we all needed to play. And he really developed a lot of my leadership skills. Um, we talked a lot about, like, his five characteristics of leaders and he really worked with me through the good and the bad of 
um, consistency and and delivery on what you say and leading by example. You know, some examples is I remember I was having one practice. I think it was a sophomore, and I just was acting like an idiot, you know, and thinking I was better than other people and frustrated with whatever. And he just pulls me aside, and he's like, look, he's like, you can't be this the leader of this team some of the time. He's like, if you want to be the leader of this team and you want to take us where we can go, you got to be the leader all the time. Like, you know, you can't just lead when you like your teammates. You can't just lead when you're playing good. You can't just lead when we're winning. You have to lead all the time. He's like, you can't practice until you make a decision. And so I just I remember just sitting there watching the team going like, this isn't a choice. Like, this is just the moment that I accept my responsibility and and I take ownership for, for my 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 skill set, you know, like he obviously wouldn't have said that to me if he didn't believe that I could do it. And so that, that was a real life changer for me. Um, and then I think, you know, teammates, there were some really powerful teammates and situations that I went through that changed my whole personality, changed the way that I handled, um, handled situations. You know, one was uh, we went to the <clears throat> seat 16 and we were playing Stanford when I was a sophomore and we were really good and we were winning the first game back then they were just 15. We were winning the first game and, uh, and like game point, our best outside hitter goes down with an ankle sprain and a player that had to take her position <clears throat> hadn't really played much all year. And as the leader, I was frustrated with her throughout the season because I didn't think that she was really working hard enough to contribute to the team and, we just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so we didn't have a good relationship. And as a leader of the team, I didn't always value her or treat her, you know, as maybe I would have treated somebody that was starting or maybe scoring more points for the team. And so here we are in this like pivotal match, right? We're winning. Everything's going our way. Our best hitter goes down and she's the replacement. And we didn't have a relationship. I didn't, I didn't prepare for that moment. I didn't, I didn't respect every man on the team. And uh, man, I cried like a baby after that match in the in the uh, <laughs> in the locker room because I realized that it was my fault, it was my responsibility, and that could never happen again. And ever since that day, I've just I've sort of never left any man out. And my appreciation for people, not because of winning and losing, but because of the harm that it costs, the harm that it causes when you're not inclusive, you know, like right. there's space for everybody. Everybody's important. And um, so, man, after that, it's like even the people that I had to compete with were my best friends. And uh, so, you know, it's not just that coaches are, are your leaders. Everyone around you is a leader. And I truly believe that, you know, we're all leaders and we're all followers. And so I think that's, you know, that's a pretty good outline of, um, of, the, of the primary influences on me as I was, I was coming up in sports. Well, there's so many here, and you have so many, like, examples of just character development and being able to understand, one, the game, but also understand each person, their roles, and um, understanding how they can be included as well, right? So, you know, maybe there's a deeper kind of relationship with the, the nature of inclusion as part of your development. But you also have, like, you have the ears to be able to hear not only your inner voice, but the voice of your coaches and you're respecting the coaches for what it is that they can bring to you. And so they have, they have wisdom and you're listening to the wisdom. And by doing that, you know, you are, you're shaking yourself as well. Um, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about what, you know, if there was anything that you would like to talk about when it comes to 
having a championship kind of mentality. I mean, you went from 32 your first year, you were at, you know, ranked 32 and then the, the next year, 16 then eight. And then finally in the, your last year, you went to four. Well, the, and then you got to play in the final four championship game. That's a really big deal. And so is there some type of able to kind of tap into that, recognize the importance of this, the, the game, the tournament and the play that was required? Yeah, there's definitely a different vibration, I think, to champions. Um, and there's a different development of the consciousness of the becoming of a champion. <clears throat> and, you know, I highlighted already some of the things that influenced me in that, in that trajectory. <clears throat> I think something that, you know, always stood out to me was this idea of, like, attention and when you put your attention on something, um, you know, fully and you really put your energy behind it, great things can happen. And I just remember in college, it was like, before I went there, the coach was like, Hey, you can come here and you can do something really special. You can take this program to the final four. We're getting the other kids that you're going to need to like get the team there. You know, he, he sold me on his vision of how to do that. And it was like, when I made that commitment, it was like, there was no going back. I mean, I just remember that we were going to get to the final four. I I didn't know how it was going to happen. I just knew it was going to happen. And, um, and I just fully, fully committed to myself to that. And I know that I put in the extra time with, with working out and, um, you know, building all the relationships that you have to build with your teammates to get them to come with you. And it's not always easy. Like my teammates didn't always like me because I was pushing all the time and I was really, really competitive. So practices were intense and, um, you know, even things with my coaches were tense because I had an opinion too. And I wanted to be able to do this with this player, run this type of offense. And, and they were really amazing with me. You know, the, the further we went together, the more we really built up a mutual respect. And I think, you know, so, in, in becoming a champion and developing that consciousness, it's first, what's your attention on? What's your goal? And then it's, it's being really um, aware of, of the steps along the way and working with all the pieces that you have. Like people have no idea how many things have to come together to, to win a single game, let alone a tournament or a championship. I mean, it's just extraordinary all the things that have to happen. And that's why it's so much fun because there's so many cool pieces that you have to be paying attention to. And so I think that's, that's the consciousness piece is you just can't get to a championship level unless you're aware of a lot of things. You have to be aware of the personal dynamics. You have to be aware of the, you know, the energy that's moving through the team and what's working and what's not working. And then you have to be able to find solutions and, you know, fill in the gaps and plug the holes kind of thing. Um, you have to be really aware of personnel and, and how their, you know, what their their rhythms are and when they're on and when they're off and how to adjust. And so for me, I think that was, that was where, you know, I really shined and where I was able to help other people shine was through that awareness piece um, because I didn't really miss a beat, you know, like if things weren't working, I was able to adjust. If something didn't work in, in this game, I was able to change it for the next game. And <clears throat> there was certainly a team around me that was helping me do that. But um, I think that's ultimately what made me successful. And, and it was just that, that awareness piece. 
Yeah, that's a high degree of situational awareness. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you, you know, and the other thing that I just love to hear is like you kind of planted your flag and you're saying, you know, everything is going to revolve around this and we're not going to let this go and this is what we're fighting for. So there's a real definite um, direction of where you wanted to go and you you move things in that way. And, you know, if you have that strong belief, and this is kind of goes into kind of the next chapter of what I would really like to talk about, and that is, you know, this, there's a spiritual dimension to all of this. But before we get that, I wanted to mention, you know, you got all the way, I mean, after you graduated from college, you uh, ended up over in Italy and you got to play professional uh, volleyball there. And so your career was going along as a player and there's all the adrenaline, there's all the identity, there's all the excitement, there's all the enthusiasm, there's the practices and there's all of the work that goes involved with being an athlete. And then that, that type of your life, you know, comes to an end and you now are faced with this transitional period of going from athlete to coach. And I was wondering if maybe you can kind of talk a little bit about that journey as well. It's the transition, you know, was that transition, you know, was it rocky? Was it smooth? Was it like, well, well, that ended what's next. I mean, how did you kind of handle that transition? It was difficult. You know, I think all of us, especially now, you know, just recognize how difficult change is and how, how attached we are to certain things in our lives and how, you know, they bring us value. They give us identity. They give us importance. And um, certainly that had been my life, like I said, basically since I was born and in, and it was the community that I was included in. And so, you know, luckily I didn't go too far from sports. I, I went, um, right into, well, actually when I, I, after college, I was on the national team for a while. And after that, I went into, um, uh, selling advertising for a kid's newspaper. And, uh, I was lucky to have a boss who was really amazing, but I was still kind of in the kid business and there was still, I don't know, it felt kind of sporty cause it was a sales job, you know? Um, and then I went back and played professionally and then I got into coaching. And so I had, you know, a couple different phases, I guess, of transition, into coaching and out of sports, I think the, you know, one of the main things is that people just don't realize how programmed your body is for those types of athletic experiences. Like my emotional body was an athlete. My physical body was an athlete. My spiritual body had become an athlete or a warrior, whatever you want to call it. My mental body was an athlete. And so, it's not so much that I, you know, wasn't an athlete anymore. I was becoming a coach. It was that my body was having to like downgrade or, or, or shift into a whole different experience because I wasn't doing that level of activity. My mind didn't have those things to chew on. My spirit didn't have the same channels to move through. My emotional body didn't have anywhere near the intense roller coaster adrenaline experience of, of, you know, collegiate and and international volleyball competition. And so you, what ends up happening is it's like you're vibrating with all of that and you're sitting at a desk going like, what is happening? You know? And, uh, and so it's like, you're not even really aware of it, but you're like, I am really antsy. (laughs) Yeah. And and so that's like, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you have to go through the complete detraining of your body and your mind. 
You're no longer training in a physical way anymore. You're no longer being physical. You're no longer competing. And there's no longer that stage in which you can, you know, buckle under pressure or rise to the occasion. And there's a big shift in identity. You know, that's a very, very big change in one's persona. And so, but, you know, all athletes have to go through that because we all get older and your body starts, you know, it's not as young as it used to be, as the saying goes. And yet, you know, here you were that you were able to, you know, you had to face those, that, that very kind of difficult challenge, and then you moved right into coaching. So, um, you know, part of your journey has several components to it, and you have the, you know, the athlete, the athlete and the high level of performance of the athlete, and then you have to go through the transition, and then you start your coaching um, life. And, you know, based off of what you've been saying, coaches are really, really important, and you recognize the importance of their example, their wisdom, their insights, their techniques, you know, it's kind of the big umbrella picture. And so you've been able to kind of transition from, the one who has to engage in the physical activities to the one now having to, what would you describe it? You know, get your players motivated. You know, you have to kind of rethink how you present yourself and what you have to present. Yeah. You know, I think I'm just realizing more and more how sports are really a vehicle for transformation. You know, they were certainly a transformation for me as, you know, I've expressed some of that here tonight, and um, people just don't realize how your identity is a collection of things. You know, like when I left playing, my identity wasn't just my name's Dana Burkholder. My identity was my emotional body combined with my mental body, my physical body, and all of the learning that I had developed through that experience. And so it's not like you just want to drop all that, you know. And so as I shifted into a coach, I really went into a reflective place where I looked at that experience and I said, wow, like that really worked for me. That didn't. And if I'm going to go into an environment where I'm going to, you know, teach and kind of become the driver in the vehicle for transformation for others, I really want to put together kind of, you know, an insightful uh, program. And so, you know, one of the things that I realized towards the end of my career was that I just wasn't enjoying it. Um, anymore. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that high level athletics are so competitive and there's so much sacrifice involved. Like people have no idea what, what high level athletes give up to do what they do. You have to become so single pointed focused to, you know, be able to beat somebody in a 100 meter swimming contest by a 0.0001 second. I mean, that times that by like a hundred thousand and that's the that's the amount of their sacrifice to win by that small of a margin yeah i was going to say that's okay. a very very important point is the nature of the sacrifice to get to the height that you want to get so you know if you were to ask, you know what what kind of sacrifices did you feel like you had to make to be able to achieve the successes that you achieved yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, I think, you know, I, I loved making a lot of those sacrifices, which was, you know, I missed a ton of holidays. I pretty much missed all the birthdays. Um, I mean, I don't even remember college. I was so focused on, on volleyball and getting to the final four. It's so it's like, you know, there was a lot of decisions, decision after decision that 
I made for sports. And, and it's not really that it's a sacrifice. It's just that those decisions make you who you are. And at the end of my career, I loved who I was, but I also saw that there was, there was a lot more for me to become. And that's where I think sports can be an even greater vehicle of transformation. You know, like when I was an athlete, nobody was talking about intuition or mindfulness or, uh, you know, your emotional body and how it could facilitate, you know, greater empowerment. And, uh, and nobody was talking about anything related to the heart. And I was always a very heart-centered player. People always said, like, oh, my gosh, you always put your heart on your sleeve. You know, you're such a passionate player. But, like, nobody ever talked to me about what that meant or how to use it or develop it as a skill. And so towards the end of my career, it just started to feel really robotic and started to feel all about, like, winning and, and stats and analysis. And it's like, that's cool, but it's not the whole piece. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's, that's transformation for a result. It's not transformation for the person or the spirit. And so I've just become increasingly interested in the transformation of the spirit and transformation of the character and so, you know, I think I'm, I'm less interested in, in sacrifice and more interested in, um, in insight and really being selective about the type of environment that's created for athletes. I'm really um, committed to providing things in that environment that lead to more self-awareness and a higher level of understanding of different concepts that translate into a better life and a better way of living uh, because I think kids need that kind of information and, and it makes you not only a better athlete, but it just makes you a happier person. And that's really what I'm interested in. You mentioned um, uh, not necessarily off the air to me before you talked about the player development platform that you've been developing. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and what is that? Yeah, you know, I think um, player development's really kind of at the center of my heart right now because, again, I'm looking at sports as a vehicle for transformation, vehicle for development. And so, you know, what's in the vehicle? There's a player in that vehicle, and the player is becoming something. You know, they're not just becoming an athlete, but they're becoming a student. They're becoming a person in their family. They're becoming part of our community. They're eventually becoming part of our workforce. And they're becoming a leader of themselves first. They're becoming leaders of others second. They're learning how to become communicators and, you know, figure out, like, how to actually have a conversation with the, the changes in technology and, and social dynamics. They're learning how to, um, you know, have critical thinking skills and find solutions. And so this is the foundation for how I'm even thinking about the player. And then I'm thinking about where, you know, where do we want to take them? And for me, I, I really just want to help people get to where they want to go. And so I can't take anybody where they want to go unless they're first aware of where they want to go. So that's where that self-awareness piece comes in. So one of the foundations of our, um, our platform at Forza One is attention and helping the players understand that their attention is a choice. And they get to put their attention on what they want and that their attention is, you know, is really a currency and there's only so much of it. So they need to be really selective with how they use it because there's lots of things trying to get their attention. 
And so if they walk through the door with their attention on getting better, if they walk through the door with their attention on listening to the coach and learning more information so that they can change their, their level of understanding, they're going to be able to apply themselves to their training and their jumping and their running and their hitting on a totally different level. So attention is, is a real key for us, um, teaching them what it means, teaching them um, how to uh, focus it, and then um, what the benefits are of doing that. Um, the second piece is, is attitude um, and how important attitude is, and, and in a very specific way. You know, we want them to be aware of their attitude. And, we, you know, we have a meeting at the beginning of the year. I met with every single team this year and went through these concepts. So it's not like I'm just saying that and, you know, hoping it happens. But we're actually introducing these concepts and reinforcing these things. But um, making sure that players understand that their attitude and being aware of their attitude um, has a direct effect on their training and their performance. So if you have a positive attitude when you walk through the door, you know, and you're aware of that, you're going to have a better practice. You're going to jump a little higher. You're going to hit a little harder. You're going to listen a little better. You're going to, you know, be a little bit better teammate, all because you have that positive attitude, positive thinking, positive mindset, positive psychology. Um, and then, secondly, we want you to be aware that your attitude has an impact on others. I mean, I don't know about you, but I like being around happy people, and happy people tend to be pretty good at what they do. And so if you come in the gym and you're excited, you know, you start passing that around, you give somebody a high five, they start feeling good. They're now jumping higher, hitting harder. Pretty soon the whole team's, like, feeling pretty good and high-fiving and having a really positive attitude. And, I mean, anybody will tell you that a team that's got good energy is going to beat a team that doesn't have good energy. And I try to explain to the players that, you know, high level of performance really goes with a high level attitude. Like I don't know any really high achieving people with really crappy attitudes. And so I just think it's so important to like explain these ideas to players so that they understand who they are, where they're going, and they understand that process of transformation and can really start making decisions for themselves and choosing choosing how they want to engage the game, how they want to engage the coach in practice. And, you know, I think the third piece is just the commitment, you know, and, and understanding what commitment is. Like commitment is this word that's thrown around and everybody's just kind of like, oh, that sounds too serious for me. But commitment is, gosh, it's such a powerful, loving concept because when you commit to something, you show up. You know, like that's the first way to show that you're committed is just you're there. But that's just the beginning, you know, like – to really show and demonstrate that you're committed, you're like tuned in, you know, like when I'm in the huddle listening to the coach, I'm demonstrating my commitment through my eye contact, through nodding my head, through like actually listening and processing the information. That's a higher level of commitment. If I show up early, I'm more committed. If I make sure I warm up well, I'm more committed. If I follow up and have a conversation with a teammate after practice about something that wasn't working, I'm demonstrating higher level commitment. So, you know, this is um, this is player development. This is character development. It's it's the development of an athlete who is really playing with purpose. And um, and I just feel like every single one of those things I've just presented translates into life and into success and in any in any category. And I mean, I just feel like kids need help. You know, like life's really challenging. There is obstacles left and right. And just looking at this situation, I mean, I'm so thankful that we had these meetings at the beginning of this season. Cause I'm going, wow, these kids, you know, might have the opportunity to 
to win this really difficult situation because they understand how important their attitude is through this process. They understand how to focus their attention when there's all kinds of crazy things going on. And then they understand how to stay committed to the things that they're passionate about. So it's like, you know, it's really just a formula and um, there's lots of other components to it, but that gives you a nice foundation of, of what we're looking to do. You know, one of the things that you was emphasizing here, at least to me, was the nature of joy and how much joy you can have by just being involved and paying attention and having the right attitude and being committed is that there's another layer of awareness and consciousness and energy that is experienced because of all of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're just like making my heart smile right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. But it's just so, it just seems so natural. You know, attitude is such a big deal. I mean, if you're negative, what do you think is going to happen? Right, yeah, you know, exactly. You know, you're, all your worst fears are going to be realized if you have a terrible attitude towards things. Like, oh, I could never do that. Well, you never will. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately what I love so much about sports, and that's why I started coaching. And that's one of the reasons why I left playing was it just got too serious, you know? And even though I was a really intense player, I mean, nobody would ever tell you I didn't love the game. I just, I love every single aspect of it. And I think teaching players to celebrate is so important. So we have all kinds of things we do to teach them how to celebrate and, you know, do silly cheers and high tens and really support one another on the court and, you know, give good eye contact and, I don't know, just like, like love the process. I know, you know, last year I had this really incredible team. Like, like you said, you know, we were the top team in Southern California, which is a, is a huge achievement. And uh, we were about halfway through the season and we were having a meeting about like, what was it going to take for us to continue the trajectory that we were on because we had already qualified for nationals and we're going around the circle and they were all, such an insightful group. And then one girl goes, She's just like, I just love this team, and I just want to enjoy every moment with you guys. And it was like when she said that, I knew we had every piece we needed to win (laughs) because, like, that was really the foundation, you know. And she was such a happy kid, and, and, um, and everybody on the team was like, yes, like, we totally need that. And so that became a foundation for our team, like, actually talking about loving what we were doing and enjoying each other and, like, loving every single practice because we cared so much for one another. And, and um, so, yeah, that, that's the component, even though it's yeah, not so talked tell, about very often. Well, so tell me, like, by just that attitude, what did it do to the other girls? It brought this whole other level of appreciation to our training. It also brought a sense of relaxation because, you know, it's intense to try to, you know, win a championship. And I don't know, there was like this lightheartedness about what we were doing because it was for love and not for, for a medal. And so I just remember there was a shift in the dynamic. It's so hard to explain, but I just remember being in the huddle with the team and it was like, the shoulders were relaxed and they were happy to be there and they were engaged with, not just with me as a coach, but with each other, you know, it was like, Hey, I really want to get this play with you. I want, I want to work this out with you. And it's so cool as a coach when you can become invisible. And, you know, I kind of think of like a team, like the flower of life or the seed of life and that the coach is sort of in the center of that toroidal field, generating all of that energy for the team to move through 
um, until team and the, you know, the exterior elements that are moving through that start to generate enough energy for the sort of the center of the circle to, to disappear into the void. <clears throat> and um, that's, that's the kind of magic that happened with this group. And, um, and, and, I, and, it, and love was the, the foundation of that. And then I think they just like started to hang out together all the time. You know, like at tournaments, they, they were always, you know, sitting on each other's lap, eating carrots together, you know, going whatever to watch other teams together and, and the whole dynamic shifted. So, okay. So, you know, the, the whole, the other attitude, which is kind of the attitude that I grew up with, which is that you had to have like this killer instinct. You had to have this killer attitude. You had to recognize that the other person on the other side of that, that net or the, your opponent was somehow an enemy, but that's not where you're going with this, is it? No, not at all. I love everybody. And, um, you know, like you can't, you can't <laughs> talk play about without that. Talk about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like sport is community, and we've really turned it into something else. Um, and, you know, competition is great, but competition is also very unhealthy in a lot of um, aspects of sports right now, and it needs a lot of attention. And I think there's a, a new paradigm on the way. And, you know, so I've really worked to redefine what competition means. And for me, it really means um, striving for excellence in everything that you do, like literally what you do. Like, it literally has nothing to do with anybody else. I don't know about you, but if I win a medal and I don't feel good about myself or what I did, the medal means nothing. So winning the competition really doesn't have value. But if I finish third or I finish 10th or I finish first, and I'm, like, super proud of what I did and I know who I am and who I've become and I feel, like, so connected to these people that I did this journey with, that medal is, like, worth a million dollars to me. Right. So it's who you become through competition, the excellence that you've strived and achieved. That is what competition is for me. And so, yeah, I, I just love everybody. I love what everybody's doing to become the athlete that they can be. And I can't play without a partner. And, you know, the better they are, the better I'm going to be and the better I'm going to have to be. And I'm, I'm into that, you know, like I want to go as far as I can and I can't do that, you know, swimming laps in my own pool by myself, you know, <laughs> There is an element that you need to you need to have something on the other side to get better at. So um, otherwise, you you can never really start expanding out or evolving unless there is somebody there or something there that is blocking your evolution. I used to say, you yeah, know, I if, think... you, if you want to, I was going to say, you know, I learned how to surf, and so you know, it's one thing to learn how to surf on you know one or two foot waves. But, boy, when it starts coming up to where it's double overhead and you're surfing on a reef or something, there's a whole other level of challenge that's required for you to be able to manage that wave. And I found myself, you know, needing to have other challenges that were much bigger than myself to get better. And you seem to be talking about the same thing. Yeah, that's just so brilliant, David. Like – really needing environments to help us go beyond, you know, seeming limitations and to help us elevate our game. You know, it's so funny. I was at the beach today and I, I somehow landed in front of the two best surfers in the whole water. I mean, these two guys were just unbelievable. They knew how to, they knew how to swim in perfectly without really getting crashed on. You know, they knew when to get off the wave at the right time. And then it was, it was kind of a high tide 
and the, the waves went crashing real fast. And so they would pop up like lightning, and then they would just jam their board and make it just accelerate. So they were surfing the same waves at about 15 miles an hour faster, or I don't know the speed of surfing, but about 15 miles faster than everybody else because they knew how to challenge the wave, right? They knew how to challenge themselves in, in the wave. And uh, it was so cool. Surfing is so incredible. Well, that's where you start uh, elevating the, I call it consciousness, so that you can start actually playing the game and really understanding how deep that consciousness goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was watching this surfer and he was doing things with his board that demonstrated the consciousness in his pinky toe and consciousness in his toe to his hip and from his hip to his left shoulder and in his board and his fin to the wave and then into the timing of the wave, all of it's interconnected. And that's why, that's why sports is so extraordinary and so essential for our community and our youth in a time when things are being taken away um, is that it is a developer of, of these kind of insights and, and, and interconnectedness that, help us become who we are and uh this surfer was like he was right in front of me and he was almost done with the wave he like jumped like he flipped up out of the wave flipped his board in a 360 and then landed on it again i mean i don't see that very often <laughs> and it wasn't even a good way you know like and just having so, so much enjoy out there yeah yeah i love those stories hey so um as a coach, you know, we've been talking about the platform and the attitude and the commitment and things like that, but are there any other challenges that you, that you face that are, you know, a coaching challenge versus a player challenge? Oh, yeah. Coaching is, is a whole different level of management. Um, you know, as a player, the players respond to you a lot differently. And the dynamic on the court is much different than the dynamic is from as a coach from off the court to on the court. And so you have to build rapport in a very different way. Uh, You have to teach the players how to build rapport with each other. You have to really create a language that they can receive from you and then take on there as their own and start to utilize it without you. So there's all these like really amazing stages to coaching and the challenges are just so different. Um, And really that's what makes it so fun for me. I feel like I'm, you know, like I put together a plan we start in on it and then I just go right into observer mode and, you know, see if I'm getting the, the movement patterns that I want, see if I'm getting the level of understanding that I want. Like I can tell if I say to a player, you know, hey, you need to get your left shoulder down a little sooner. And I can tell on the next ball whether they got it or not. Like, I can tell if they even understood what I said. I can tell if they understood what I said, but their body didn't understand. I could tell if they understood what I said, their body understood, but their body won't do what they want, you know. So there's, like, the level of attention as a coach is, I don't know if it's higher, but it's different um, than it is a player. And, you know, really being able to develop your vision and knowing what to look at and then knowing how to synthesize the problem and the solution and then be able to deliver that to the player in a way that they can receive it and take action on it is a, is a real art, you know? And and for me, that's, that's what I enjoy. I I just love being present with people who are working on their game and whether it's the mental game, emotional game or physical game, they all, they're all the same to me. 
um, I just I like being in that place with them and and helping them make those transitions and and transform themselves and and help them build awareness of their of what they're doing and and how they're doing it and um, you know it's so fun to see kids have that spark and, and want more you know like when kids start really getting better they start asking better questions and it's cool when that transition exactly. happens and. And then that's a whole other level as a coach. When you have an athlete that can ask questions or you have an athlete that maybe is plays at a higher level than you do as a coach. So it's like there's never an end to a challenge as a coach. And there's never an end of application. Like everything that I experience in my life outside of sports somehow applies to sports. And so it's a really dynamic um, profession. Is there anything that happened to you as a player that you now say, oh, I get to apply this as a coach. But then as the coach, you realize, oh, my God, there are bigger issues involved here that I was unaware of as a player, but now I have to be aware of them now as a coach. So you actually have to step into bigger shoes, and you have to start filling those shoes. So is there any kind of examples you have of what it took for you to kind of recognize, one, oh, my God, there's other bigger things going on here than I was aware of? Or did you always yeah, have I a think- handle on it? No, I think, you know, one of the biggest things as a youth athlete that you don't understand is why coaches are demanding, you know, or why they do use difficult tones or tones that carry a certain vibration to them um, or why they're really adamant about things. You know, as a, as a youth player, you're like, ah, that doesn't really matter. Or, gosh, why is the coach so intense about that? Or, you know, da, 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 this isn't so serious. But if there isn't a driver, if there isn't somebody who's fully committed to the vision, nothing happens. And so I think going into coaching, I was like, oh, man, I'm never going to be like my coach who was really tough and, you know, got really intense or yelled or any of that stuff. And, you know, now I realize that I got to use every tool I got to help these kids shift when they need to be shifted. And so, you know, I look at every area of the athlete, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, as <clears throat> as a contributing piece of the athlete. So, for example, I need to be really confident in my own skills in those areas, and I need to know what works and what doesn't. And so I become increasingly interested in the emotional piece because I'm realizing more and more how important emotions are in athletics and in life in general and how kids are really struggling to understand their emotions and utilize them or even have them. <clears throat> and so I'm feeling that, like, there are times where I have to just basically pretend that I'm intense so that they can see what intensity looks like and then attempt to mirror it. Or I have to exaggerate an excitement for something that's coming up so that they can see what excitement looks like and they can see what elevating your energy looks like and can see what the result is of a higher level of energy. And then they can model that behavior and then see what the results are and ideally, you know, want to learn how to build that skill for themselves. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things I think that I, saw as a coach that or as a player that I was like, "Hmm, I don't know about that. And then now I'm like, okay, I got to try everything. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, and the other thing is, is that you're showing by example. And I think example is a very good indicator of how you get people's attention and respect. You know, one, you have, you have the entire lineage of what you've done, but at the same time, you also have all that you're bringing to the plate at the moment. And wanting to um, implement your vision. So your vision now becomes very, very important on 
how they understand what their responsibilities are when they become part of the fours of one volleyball club. Would that be, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah. I mean, I just, nothing happens without, without vision. Um, it's, it's the birth, you know, it's like the womb of everything. And then you, you know, you pull in what you need and, um, you know, obviously nobody's perfect and there's lots of things we need to do better at, but I think us having that vision and consistently moving towards it and finding ways to reinforce it with the players in all different ways, you know, even utilizing things like social media to, to put positive messages out there or to add, you know, nutritional training or, um, you know, add things like mindfulness or, uh, you know, concepts about heart coherence. It's, it's none of that would even be in my mind if I didn't have a vision to take athletes to a certain level. Right. I would like to, you know, I want to switch gears, but before I do that, I want to talk a little bit more about when you're dealing with your, your, um, your kids. So the, what are they like 10 years old and they go all the way up to about 18. Is that it? Is that it? Is that the range is yeah. from 10 yeah, to 18? So, you know, so when you're coming in and you're dealing with the 18 year olds, that's like one set, but now all of a sudden you've got to deal with 10 year olds with a whole nother layer of understanding, which isn't as, as sophisticated as say as an 18 year old. So that means you have to kind of shape shift around from being a, you know, dealing with 18-year-olds to de- dealing with 10-year-olds to then dealing with the, you know, the 14- and 15-year-olds? Or is yeah, that part absolutely. of your program where you have coaches for that? Um, no, we have different coaches for all different teams and different levels. And I think that, you know, that comes down to, like, form and content. The content of the message can be the same at every level, but the form has to change. And that's where, you know, educators at different levels know how to make those kinds of adjustments. And, you know, probably one of the coolest things we've got going right now is that I coach the 18 ones and our 12 ones coach, for example, um, is amazing. Her and I see eye to eye on, on all of these kind of really important fundamental ideas and she's applying them to her 12 team beautifully but with a very different language, a very different, you know, more fun approach. Uh, you know, she teaches the skills at a different level than I do, but she's achieving the same thing. And you can see it in the energy of the team. You can see it in the focus of the players. You can see it in their commitment level and the intensity with which they're like listening to the coach, you know? So it's like, it's so cool to see that this information is universal. Um, it really comes down to the coach's ability to translate it to the audience. And so, you know, we obviously work with our coaches and do coaches training and provide resources to, to help them do that. Um, a lot of times it just comes down to the, to the individual and their own creativity and, and understanding of, you know, education and coaching and how to, how to communicate with people. You know, that's really important. Coaching coaches. Yeah. So that, that must be part of your curriculum as well. Yeah, you know, I, I love just working with everybody on, on every level of the organization. And, um, you know, there's so many resources out there now. We've, we've tried a, a bunch of different things uh, with our coaches. And what's been cool about this, you know, COVID time <clears throat> is that we've done a lot of online training and kind of created a nice library for our own coaches to to see all the neat things that all the different staff members uh, do and all the coaches do within our program. And then people are just starting to access the Internet for education. And, 
I mean, if there's anything that I like about the internet is that it's, it's an incredible source of education. I mean, entertainment's cool, but I'm all for education over entertainment. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that's made me so successful. And so we're really encouraging students and coaches to, to utilize the resources that we have to, to empower themselves, to inform themselves with a higher level of understanding and, and then a, a higher level of application. Yeah, you know, it must be very difficult because you are, you know, you have a big building with lots of courts and you have all those, the kids there playing and now that is shut down. So you're having to work through another problem of having to coach, not in an uh, actual face-to-face facility, um, but through the internet. So what's that been like? Oh, yeah, it's been, it's been like a hundred meter dash. <laughs> Yeah, and they had all kinds yeah. of new challenges for you to deal with, you know, that you hadn't dealt with before. Yeah. And so now you had to, like, sh- shift gears really, really quickly to be able to manage, again, 1,500, you know, kids that are playing volleyball. I mean, I find that that's just a huge feat. Yeah, and actually I want to rephrase that. It was like a 100-meter dash backwards without a, without a starting block. <laughs> With hundred pound of weights on your back, right? Yeah, yeah. But I say that in such a fun way because um, I like challenges. You know, I like when as soon as I recognized what was going to happen, you know, I recognized the the wave that was coming, and you can either get crashed by it or you can paddle out and get on it and start to ride it. You know, it was like, hey, we got to step up for these kids. We're not going to probably provide, you know, the most sophisticated online education you've ever seen, but we're going to provide it. We're gonna we're gonna knock it out of the park and um, and, uh, we did that, you know, we provided over a hundred hours of, um, of online education in the wow. two weeks immediately after the shutdown. And then we provided a whole nother hundred hours the following month. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was just incredible. Some of it, you know, we wouldn't repeat, but what was super cool, David was, you know, doing a lot of film with the players, um, and, and teaching them how to become observers of themselves and of the team, wow. of their positions on the court, of the situations that are that they are going to face in the game. I mean, I feel like we just made the most incredible investment in our players' IQ and intelligence that, like, it didn't matter that they didn't play, like, actual volleyball on a court because their learning was, like, exponential in another category. And eventually those two things are going to come together and it's just going to be extraordinary. Like, I can't wait. I know I'm going to, I know, I know I'm going to know the moment when it comes together and I'm just waiting for it, you know? Oh, how exciting. Cause you know that it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, this concept that you mentioned, you know, the nature of being an observer, that was a, a very late concept for me to understand. And here you are bringing that up, you know, to, to your, to your kids. I just find that remarkable. Um, yeah, you know, it, like is, to, it is really special. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, there. okay, so now we're going to go off into a little bit of a different tangent here. So if we can just switch gears here. Cool. When I uh, read your promo, there is a whole dimension of spirituality and kind of religion that you were uh, engaged in. And this is like the parallel track that you have been on for quite some time. And now you're starting to bring them together. But maybe we can talk a little bit about your spiritual journey and some of the milestones and what it looked like and what you were doing outside of volleyball uh, and what you uh, were engaged in and what you were reading and where you went and what you did. 
What's that? What's your spiritual journey look like? Yeah, well, thanks for asking that. I appreciate that. You know, a lot of people just don't ask that question. <laughs> I know that we're, uh, you know, we're on air here, but um, it's just refreshing that you're asking that question, that a lot of people are asking that question. It's so important right now for us to get in touch with that side of ourselves and, and share it, you know. So I'm, I'm happy to share my, my, my story. You know, I, I just feel like I've always been really spiritual. Um, I just remember as a kid just feeling really connected to Jesus um, and praying to him and feeling a sense of connection to that uh-huh. higher power. Um, and I just remember always kind of being around people who had sort of a similar feeling, whether it was my family or my friends in high school, um, my friends in college. And so I don't know that I knew exactly what it was then, but there was a piece of my heart or or maybe my whole heart that was sort of held in that, in that vibration. And, um, I think it's one of the things that made me kind of just a good person and a good leader and a good teammate was that that was really a foundation for who I was. And so, you know, I, I grew up going to, you know, a couple of different churches and things like that and, and studied, you know, different things. But I think, um, you know, you are one of the people that, you know, introduced me to sort of a lot of different spiritual realms, you know, during my college time when we kind of started talking about different things like Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and, um, you know, just different authors that were exploring different spiritual um, uh, spiritual paths. And Did you so, connect with any know, of them? I, say that again? Did you connect with any of them? Um, yeah. Did that uh, make, for, yeah? Yeah, like The Way of Zen um, is uh-huh. fantastic. In fact, I still have your copy of that book. Let me know if you'd like it back. Alan Watts. <laughs> you got Alan Watts, too. Yeah, Alan's amazing. Um, Emissary of Light, um, I think, is, was just was a really kind of a magical book for me. Um, I don't think you gave me this one, but Celestine Prophecy was really kind of a cool book that helped me see a whole other perspective on energy and, and connecting to things in different ways. Um, so there was just a lot of literature that came my way, I think, throughout my 20s that really helped me to start to connect to myself in a very different way, even though I was still very focused on I don't know, just kind of being like a normal everyday person who's doing this and doing that. Um, and then I think in my, uh, let's say, 30s, I just became aware of a whole other body of information. Like I saw What the Bleep Do We Know, and uh, that opened me up to a lot of different things. Uh, at that time, I was actually reading Pramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi, and that was that was a real turning point for me, that book. It just, it kind of showed me, like, from start to finish, a model of spirituality and a model of spiritual lifestyle. You know, like, it's not that I live in India or I would live in that lifestyle, but it was the example of a person who had made, who made choices to live that lifestyle, who had taught that lifestyle and, and still did a lot of very normal things, you know, in terms of Western society. <clears throat> And so um, I, I took a lot from that book, and I think my spirit started to, to develop in a different way. And then when I watched What the Bleep Do We Know, I became familiar with um, Joe Dispenza and a lot of those types of um, teachers and started really starting to understand consciousness and energy and, you know, we could say like the create your reality type dialogue. <clears throat> and so that was really, really um, powerful period of learning for me. And uh 
Yeah, yeah it's I don't very know. different. It's very different from the Western perspective. Mm-hmm. So part of my um, growing up was, you know, business and do something, be something. And in the East, it's more like experiencing something. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, here, and here, what are you experiencing? <laughs> right. And, you know, and here's the other thing, and it's very important, and that is there was a certain level of self-guided kind of tour that you took on your, you took yourself, you know, and you allowed literature to guide and guide and direct you as well as your own spirit. And that was mine as well. I mean, I ended up, you know, collecting a lot of books and reading a lot of material. And I felt like my education had a lot to do with, with reading sources outside of Western perspective. Yeah, there's so much incredible material from all over the world. And, you know, once you start dipping into it a little bit, you realize how many similarities there are and yet how how unique and dynamic they are. They all are. And it really just starts to became, become this like lotus, you know, just opening and opening and opening to layers and layers of, of who we are and, you know, why we're here and, and the types of experiences that we're able to have if we start to tune into different levels of, of information and um, explore our own consciousness and, and connect in community with people who are, you know, interested in the same types of things. Did you ever, did you feel that healing was part of your spiritual journey? Hmm. Yes. I think healing is ongoing. <laughs> it is the journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. part of it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I shoot. Um, all of us go through so many difficult things throughout our life and, you know, most of them we're not even aware of until something's not working. And, um, I feel like I had a lot of insecurities growing up, you know, I don't know if it was because I was the fourth kid and my brothers and sisters were older and just, you know, weren't that interested in me. They were doing their own thing. And so I I was sort of left behind a lot. Um, you know, we moved quite a bit, so it's like, I never really had that like lifelong friend circle. And so, yeah, I was kind of a shy and insecure kid for a lot of my life, even though like on the exterior, I was this amazing athlete and I was super successful and everybody thought I was amazing and all that stuff. But internally there was a whole subset dialogue happening. And, um, I think that, you know, athletics reinforced all the stuff I was already good at. It didn't really approach the other part of myself. And so when I started to tap into these other types of literature that talked a lot about healing and talked about the emotional body and talked about, um, you know, a way of being more connected to yourself and connected to spirit and connected to God or whatever you want to call it, it started to, it started to heal me in terms of like give me a home and give me a place to just be and to to love from that didn't have anything to do with whether I won or lost or whether I was good or bad and any of that stuff. And so my self-esteem started to come from another place. And, and because I kind of got it and I was able to, like you said, kind of observe aspects of it and myself that, you know, made sense together. I just really started to heal and become a more full person and a more integrated person. Yeah. And it's really important not to identify yourself as the athlete 
Because if you win or lose, then all of a sudden identity and who you are is tied into whether or not you've won or whether you've lost. And spirituality brings in a kind of another kind of point of view, and that is what's the consciousness here? What am I aware of here? How do I participate in this? How do I get better? There's all kinds of other issues that are involved when you start looking at things from a different perspective like that you um, are looking in into. So, you know, how would you, what are some of the things that you have learned from all the research and all of the seminars that you've gone to and all the reading that you've done? You know, how would you just kind of like crystallize some of that and, and formulate that as part of the, your, this particular journey? Hmm. What did you learn? Well, first I would just, yeah, first I would just say it's been extraordinary. Um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time recently um, studying Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. He's just really doing some incredible stuff um, with a couple different organizations, one in particular, HeartMath Institute, who's just doing some incredible research and in science um, around the heart and heart coherence and, you know, our magnetic fields as individuals and, and how that connects to the, to the magnetic field of others and to the magnetic field of the earth and, um, they're just doing extraordinary work. And if, you know, any listeners out here have not uh, connected to their material, I definitely suggest checking it out. But, um, you know, for me, it's, I've had to learn how to like love myself and to nurture myself and to be in my body and really understand what that means. And, and a lot of that's come through meditation and, and you know, sitting in my own skin, in my own body, in my own mind, and just kind of listening and figuring out what's there. And, you know, if there's things that aren't there, then working with them. And there's a couple different ways to do that. And then also, you know, putting in some programs that are healing and um, confidence building and appreciation oriented. You know, like I have such a different relationship with my body now than I did a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Like I, I truly love and respect my body as, as my vehicle. Um, like I, I've, I've treated it so well now that like I love it. Like it loves me. We, we work together. We've built a rapport. Um, and, you know, my, people might go, well, that's not very spiritual, but it's deeply spiritual. I mean, you know, this is my temple and I can't be here without it. <clears throat> and so that's become a very spiritual practice for me. Um, really developing a different relationship with my body through, you know, food and medicine, through food as medicine, through giving it more attention, through uh, nurturing it with the way I speak to it by putting it in environments that it can feel safe in and feel um, inspired by. And so that's been, that's been a really huge piece. And I think people need that so much today because we're, you know, put in a, in a society where we're just wrong. We're wrong on every level. We're too fat. We're not smart enough. We're, you know, not quick enough. We're not intelligent enough. We're not this, we're not that, we're not this. And it's just like, well, we all just end up feeling like crap. I mean, literally our bodies feel like crap, you know? And so then we put stuff in it to make it feel better. Unfortunately, that's mostly crap. And so then you feel like double crap, you know, and sorry to use such silly language, but that's just what it is. And well, so, um, yeah. There's a lot of toxicity you know, now, out there, and emotions are one of them. Yeah, and so now is just the time to, like, man, just check in and 
realize that your body is literally your best friend. Like it will do what you want. It will help you. It will speak to you. It's the most sophisticated instrument on the planet. And I can say that with full confidence because I've engaged my own in that way. And I've witnessed other people doing absolutely extraordinary things with their body. And I'm not talking about athletics um, because they've started to communicate with it and care for it. So that's, that's a huge piece of it. Um, The other piece is, I don't think people understand the level of wisdom that they carry with them. You know, like nobody knows you better than you, period, right? Like you know you, so spend time with you. And, and that makes a lot of us uncomfortable because we, we just haven't tried it. But um, when you spend time with you, and I've been lucky to be able to do that, things just start to unfold, you know, like, it, like just for example, I have this painting in my house right here that's in front of me throughout this conversation. And the longer I look at it, the more I am starting to decipher the, the different elements of it and kind of what each piece means and then how it works together. It's like, so if I just kind of treat myself as a painting of different things and I just spend time looking at it or listening to it or meditating with it or just becoming more mindful of it, um, I just start to understand it and understand why it's doing what it's doing and all those things. And, 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 it, and it just starts to kind of unravel. And then through that understanding, you're able to then um, – start to craft it and cultivate it in the way that you want and, and really start to see what your strengths are. And it's fun. It's super fun. It's like surfing a wave, only you're surfing yourself, you know? <laughs> right. I have found that I am interested in other people and their journey and what happened to them and where they're going and recognizing that, you know, like my grandparents experienced certain things. And I look back and I go, oh, my God, they really had this incredible life that they lived. And if that was that was for them at that time. And now we're kind of at a different place at the moment. And we are now looking at the world differently. And we have a new set of tools and a new, a new set of circumstances. And part of this, at least as far as I'm concerned, there's a spiritual dimension to what it is that we get to experience. And you have been talking about it, you know, really, really eloquently. And this is where you started to merge you know, athletics and kind of the, the spiritual techniques into your program. One, you're a practitioner of it. Two, you're an athlete. And then three, you're a coach. And then as a coach, you have a bigger vision of what it is that you want. Um, and you are now starting to apply all of these, you know, kind of outs of these spiritual practices that some of them come from the outside. They come from the East. But then there's also the ones that are starting to emerge within um, the Western mind and the Western practices. And I know that there was uh, a woman that you found very important when it came to child rearing and child development that you you really, really liked and you, you were able to apply some of her techniques in, into your, your coaching um, platforms. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, there's actually two, I think, really influential um, people I've had in terms of, like, how to work with athletes, how to communicate, and then how to help them learn how to self-initiate. One was Mary Jo Pepler, who um, is an absolute genius, um, one of the most knowledgeable athletes on the planet, and one of the most incredible volleyball minds that will ever exist. Um, I don't know how many people know the full spectrum of what she understands, but I've been very, very lucky to work with her. And then another woman named Terry Cravens, who just has a lot of uh, experience in, you know, child development and, you know, family and child psychology. And, um, you know, a lot of their 
their insight is based on the fact that you don't have the answer as the coach. Like I might know how to keep coach volleyball. I might know how to get them to do it, but until the athlete is engaging, you don't have anything that will last. And so it's so important to be able to provide information and then step back or provide um, initiation, but to teach them how to initiate themselves so that it becomes self-generating on their end. Um, And when it's not self-generating, instead of always solving the problem for them, teach them how to solve the problem by asking questions and always making sure that they understand they're the answer, they're the power, and um, they're... They're the, they're the ones that make it happen, you know, and unfortunately there's a lot of inexperienced coaches and young coaches that feel like it's their job and their duty to make it happen. And so they end up kind of going to the overt control model where, you know, they're out there with their head spinning, getting everything to, to go right and over yelling and over talking and over directing. And, and maybe it looks great for a game, but by game two, the coach is exhausted and the team's like just kind of mind blown. So, you know, it's, it's a longer process when you approach things from that perspective, but it's a much more powerful process. And, and the transformation that happens is, is pretty incalculable. But, um, yeah, I, I think just in addition to that, you know, my friend Mary Jo Pepler also has a, has a real lightheartedness towards the sport, and maybe that's because she's achieved so much in her own career that she recognizes the more important um, more important elements being the spiritual development, being the, the becoming of uh, that happens through spirit, and that there really is no end, you know, to any of this. Like there's no end to volleyball. It's just going to continue to get better. There's no end to my coaching. I'm, I'm continuing to get better every day. And so there's a relaxation that happens when you accept that, like really, really accept that level of understanding. You just stop pushing and you start enjoying and appreciating where you are, the experience that you're having as a coach and with your team and that the players are having and uh, the whole dynamic changes. So that's, yeah, that's just been an incredible um, journey for me. And I just want to say like you, the older I get, the more I just want to learn about really awesome people and what they're doing. You know, I think I've been so, so busy, like figuring out how to do what I could do and, and be good at it that I didn't have time for that. But now that I'm, you know, at a different level, I can now really get into that exploratory phase and just start pulling in even more awesome information into what I'm doing. I hear exactly what you're saying. There's so much amazing things that are out in the world. And, you know, people are part of the, the amazingness of it. As, you know, so is nature and so is the universe. I mean, there's all kinds of things just to be looking up and just going, wow, you know, and look at people and go, wow. And unfortunately, we just have this uh, system within our kind of in our society that is more about conformity and more about, in a sense, obedience and more about um, fitting into somebody else's mold. And you and I have spent a lot of time trying to break outside of the molds that we were supposed to be playing. So, you know, yeah, for me, yeah, go ahead and respond to that. No, I just think for me, that's like the development of the human spirit. And I think this whole COVID situation has really, really deeply connected me to the human spirit and what it's going through right now, what it's been going through and, you know, where it's, headed or where it might be headed and what does the development of that look like and I think you and I are both such passionate people for this 
for the reality of transformation and, and the role of life as transformation. And, you know, that's something I'm so, so grateful to um, you for introducing me to your work, um, you know, through interviewing Jesus and your research and scholar, scholarly approach to Christianity and really understanding Jesus as like the most incredible model of transformation and, and really that process that we all go through to, to become something greater than, you know, we started out as. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited about the human spirit and what it can become and, and, and what, what I can contribute to that uh, element of our world. Well, I think you're doing just a, a remarkable job and just kind of getting back to what I, you know, when I did my research into Jesus, you know, the question is, is what kind of man was he? And then as I really explored that, I started realizing what his spiritual techniques were and he spoke what he meant. He spoke his own truth and he it showed through example how you engage the world. And see, you're, start, you're doing that be, through all of your, um, the way you teach, the way you act, the way you, you, know, you talk, and, um, and what you share. So there isn't something outside of Dana that Dana is grabbing onto and saying, hey, look, this is for you. I know this is good for you, but it's not good for me. You are very consistent with what it is that you are uh, engaged in. But, you know, I, I kind of want to mention a little bit about, like, how this pandemic, what this pandemic is doing for you. Um, you know, there's a form of isolation and we're all kind of isolated. And yet you're finding that this is a very good time, like an incubation time for you to kind of do some deeper studying. You know, what's going on for you? Hmm. Is that accurate? Well, to say I, that? Think, I think, yeah, I think it's opening my heart more and more. You know, I've, I've become somebody who's deeply passionate about the heart and so much of that has to do with the work and learning I've done with Dr. Joe Dispenza and through Heart Math Institute. And I mean, like deeply understanding the, um, the source of my experience as my heart. And, you know, it's not just like some random organ. It, it's literally the home of your life force. It's the home of your soul and your spirit and through a relationship with that, you, you open, you open to everything. And, um, and uh, there's techniques to be able to connect with that. I mean, they're scientifically proven. It's very clear. And I've also been lucky enough to be able to participate in some workshops uh, with Dr. Joe Spenza and be in a community of people that are, learning that inner technology and connecting to themselves in a much different way through meditation and through breathing and through heart centered attention and, you know, different emotions like gratitude and abundance. And, um, and so I've had a lot of time to practice that. And, and during this time, because I've already opened my heart through a lot of these um, practices I'm I'm finding that I'm I'm a much bigger witness to others who are experiencing this maybe in a, in a forced way through the pandemic because everybody's sort of becoming more community oriented, really supporting each other, and like there's this whole other level of compassion that's happening across our world, and so I'm seeing this big heart opening. I'm seeing that it's not going to disappear. Um, in fact, people are going to want a lot more of it because we've really been missing that component. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about sharing this information and sharing heart, heart-centered um, techniques and Heart Math Institute science with people because this is something that will bring us back to our source, back to ourselves. And um, I know it's like, it's, it's why I'm different. It's, it's why I'm able to embody the things I believe in so much because it's centered in something. And that's, you know, it's sort of abstract, but it's, it's also a very real experience. And, you know, we, we've always needed models in the world, but I think because there's so many models in the world today that are putting people's attention on things that just really don't make you feel better, um, that we need models that, really help people connect to things that have some type of reality to them. You know, like I just don't care like how much plastic surgery you have. You don't really feel better about yourself. You probably actually feel more insecure because you're so crafted, you know, or, uh, and and it's just like, where is the focus of our community going? And I think more and more people are talking about mindfulness. More and more kids are aware of mindfulness. And, and that's just going to be a huge part of our future. And and so I think I've just been tapping into that and becoming more aware of that through this process. You know, there was a lot of the books that I was reading, you know, there's a lot of it didn't make a lot of sense because there were such different concepts and new concepts and they were outside my scope of understanding. They were out so outside our kind of our society. And when I was reading the Egyptian book of the dead and the, and the judgment, the person after they die, if they get to go to essentially they get to move on, they were weighed against the scale and their, their heart was essentially taken out of them. Not literally, but their heart was taken out and it was laid on a scale and it was weighed against a feather. And I thought, what the heck is that all about? You know, it just doesn't even make any sense. Well, of course, now it's making an enormous amount of sense because what does it mean to have a heart that's as light as a feather? It's just it's what you've been talking about. It's how we connect to, you know, yourself, to others, to the world, to the universe, to the divine, you know, to all the things that we do. And it, it has a ripple effect that just kind of pours out from us. So, yeah, and yeah, and we naturally, like, love people who are heart-centered. And, you know, I was watching a, a talk from HeartMath Institute, and they were talking about how, you know, the brain, the heart actually has a brain. It has, um, like, neuronites that are brain-like cells that, you know, think technically, and um, that the, the heart actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. So there's more ascending information from the heart to the brain than, than, than coming down. And I just thought that that was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard because I was such a heart-driven player. And I really did kind of do extraordinary things. I was incredibly creative. I, I was able to really maximize what I was able to do physically. And I know now why. It was because I was such a heart-centered athlete. And I tapped into these realms that, like, a lot of people didn't tap into for whatever reason. Maybe they were more fearful or maybe they had a different background. I don't know. But – I know that like so many people will tell you that the teams with heart win or the athletes with heart are the best. And it's like, Hey, like maybe we should start looking at this science and going like, this is more than just like, Ooh, I'm an airy fairy. I love everybody kind of thing. It's like, no, this is like a technology that can greatly benefit our personal experience of our bodies and our psyche and our emotions. And also really, really, really benefit our expression out into the world 
not just on an electromagnetic field level because our electromagnetic field of our heart is constantly interacting and, and contributing to the electromagnetic field that surrounds the planet, but it will also actually impact the physical world and, you know, the community at large. So this kind of starts to bring us into, you know, moving into this new territory because another thing that I noticed, you know, when, about you is that there's now a bit of a philosopher and a sage to mm. you, and you're now bringing this spirituality and uh, athletics in it together in a way that is, you know, I think is just really quite beautiful. And I was wondering if you are, if there's something, some practice or some technique that you are um, asking your players to engage in that would become more heart awareness or, or become more mindful? Are, are there practices that you're involved in or are you just kind of generally speaking about these terms? Um, so, you know, we had the meeting at the beginning of the year and we um, introduced these ideas. Um, and then all throughout the season, we spend, uh, you know, 15 to 30 minutes a week doing player development with the players so it's, we have like a classroom in the gym and then we have a team room in the gym and then we have a couple carpeted areas where teams can gather so that once a week they're focused on developing the player. And so we script some of those as a club where they'll do mindfulness type exercises, they'll do a breathing exercise, they'll do character exercise, um, they'll do, you know, how to be a great teammate exercise, which all of those things fall under the category of mindfulness. Like you can't be a good teammate unless you're mindful of what a good teammate means and what the qualities are of a mindful teammate. Um, you can't um, you can't be aware of whether you work hard or not unless you understand what working hard is. So, when you work with kids, it's not necessarily that you have to meditate all day. It's that you have to educate them about all these concepts that lead to self awareness and give self awareness a definition. So that's been that's been our, our modus operandi is these, these player development um, things. And, you know, we also watch film. We also you know talk about volleyball. We you know do different graphs on the on the board and things like that. But this is a huge um, element of what we're doing. And then um, what was so cool was with the whole COVID thing is that we went to a lot of online stuff. And so I led some leadership classes as well as some of my staff members. And then um, I led some mindfulness training and. Uh, the kids just loved it, you know, like they want to know about this stuff because Olympic athletes are talking about mindfulness and CEOs are talking about mindfulness. And, and frankly, a lot of the most successful people in the world are talking about mindfulness and meditation and, and they're curious and they want to know like, Hey, what's this all about? And so um, we are going to be introducing the, the heart mass uh, Institute um, meditation and they actually don't call it meditation. They call it uh, uh, heart centered um, breathing and wow, I actually can't remember the name that they use, but it's a it's a meditation like mindfulness type practice that they do. It's all science based. It's breathing based. It's really really simple and um, it's extraordinary. Like the things that they have um, demonstrated scientifically is extraordinary. And so for me, this is the the beginning of the development of the super the super athlete the athlete that's connected to their heart, the athletes that, you know, is more in tune emotionally and, and able to balance their emotions, the athlete that becomes more intuitive because of those two things. They're not, you know, all blocked and jammed with fear and stress and over-competitiveness. They're actually open. Um, and then, you know, the physical body changes when you're connected to those different frequencies and you start playing better. Your body becomes wired better. You you're more uh, instinctual on the court. And so, you know, athletics could go to a whole nother level 
and can be really, really exciting if, if more people start to understand these concepts and, and incorporate them. I agree with you. So I know that there was a question that you uh, sent to me, and it was called, why is it important to learn and listen? What was yeah. that? What, what do you mean by that? You know, I've just, I've been, for all of us, right? We've all been basically stuck at home, and what are we doing? We're having conversations. It's freaking awesome. Um, you know, I'm like talking to people on the phone. I'm talking on Zoom. I'm, you know, just connecting in different ways, whether it's like, you know, a, a comment section on Facebook or whatever. And, and uh, through conversation, what do we learn to do? We learn to listen. I mean, of course, there's those people that never listen. They talk the whole time. We're not talking about those people, even though we love them. Um, we're talking about people that are going like, hey, you know, I just kind of want to talk to somebody, hang out and have a conversation. And so what I'm starting to realize is that there's a space that happens in the dialogue when somebody else is talking and even when you're thinking your own thoughts as they're coming forward into your dialogue, where you're leaving space, you're, you're leaving space for information to come that elevates the understanding and you're opening yourself to receiving information that is new to you. And like, for me, yeah. that's the definition of a learner is they're waiting for something new. They're open to something new. And so it's been super refreshing for me, you know, to talk with you and have great conversations about the things that you're learning and understanding. And like when you and I talk, there's all these pauses, you know, like you're thinking you're talking and then you pause and then you receive something awesome and then you share it. And it's like the whole time you were doing that, I was like listening and waiting you know, for something awesome. And then I'm talking and I'm thinking and I'm kind of pausing and you're listening and waiting for me. And it becomes this incredible exchange where there's the space for something else to come into the picture. And so, yeah. you know, they say two by two or they say together or not at all. And um, I'm really starting to understand the power of that concept is we really do create this experience together. And the more we can connect with one another, the more we create space for, for the presence of the divine or God or, you know, whatever it is that you, you connect to, to speak through us and speak to us. And, uh, and, that, and, that, and that's what changes lives and, and changes our relationship to ourselves and others. I, you know, I have read that just 10 people together thinking alike can change environments and societies. It's just for that remarkable when you get uh, the harmonics of group thinking in terms of this, like meditation or heart math or, you know, the things that you're talking about. So also um, what, um, what kind of creates a better learner? What, what are you finding out about that? Hmm. That's such a great question. Uh, See, because we're all like, you know, we're all, we, you know, we're all students, right? We, we are, it's like we we're born and it's like, okay, the first thing you need to do, you got to learn how to talk. You need to learn how to walk, right? So we're constantly learning. And then we go to school and we're learning, you know, how to read and how to write and, you know, do, you know, math. And so, but, and there's other things that we're learning as well. But, you know, how do we keep that attitude moving forward, you know, through, well, not only just through sports, but just in life in general? I mean, are you finding that as a challenge or is it just kind of the way that you, maybe you and I happen to be? We're both very, very, very curious. Yeah. I mean, I think there is that kind of a 
essential element, that curiosity. Um, I feel like the rewards that I've received through learning has made me a more avid and excited, motivated learner. You know, like doing Dr. Joe's work, for example, I've studied all kinds of spirituality, as I said, for like, you know, 20, 30 years. And um, as soon as I started doing the meditations with Dr. Joe, uh, I changed completely. And I learned very quickly that the things that he was doing were really working. And so it was like, wow, I'm, I'm learning here on a lot of levels. And so I went deeper. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do it more. I wanted to read his other book and then his other book. And then I wanted to go to a workshop because um, what I was learning was, was rewarding big time. And I think that's one of the things that people are struggling with right now is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there that gets you nowhere. You know, like, I mean, I can't believe how many ads there are on, on YouTube for different health programs. And it's just like, I mean, basically tune into your own body, start listening, and it's going to tell you what you want, what it wants to eat. And then, you know, heal spiritually, and your body will literally stop attracting things that harm it. You know, like, it's so simple. But and, and, you know, everybody's personal environment and ecology is different. So, like, you might be, like, really great on a tomato diet, but that's not working for me at all. So I know. it's so important. <laughs> it's so important to empower people to have their own journey and then just teach them how to trust their instincts when they're moving towards information because then they're going to be engaged in the learning instead of being forced to do the learning. You know, I, I heard that when you take on the responsibility for learning something yourself, your retention span is like 90% of the material that you learn versus, well, I have to just learn this because I, uh, I'm expected to know this to pass a test. And I found wow. that that's true for me Amazing. is that, that, you know, when I go on my own self journey and I go through my own self exploration and I go and, and I do my own research, I find that I retain a lot more information because I am interested in what this information has to do for me. Yeah, to me, that should be the future of, of education. You know, it's like basically you go into a room, there's like a bunch of screens, <clears throat> 10 of them you have to do because everybody needs to learn, you know, arithmetic or something. And then there's like thousands of videos that you can just pick from the stuff you want to learn. And you end up being like totally freaking amazing at this thing because you've spent on your own time, 20 million hours learning this thing that you're really passionate about. And like everybody's going to pick a different set of information to dive into. And I mean, it would just become such an incredible environment because everybody would be really fueled by their own passion. And, um, and it would be a totally different type of inspiration with education. I agree. You know, there was this one thing that you were mentioned that I, in the, the promo, you talk about bringing and helping, you know, the, the, your athlete with the, their family and, the, and what the family dynamic is in relationship to the outcome or the performance of the particular um, child who was playing, you know, volleyball. So, you know, what is it that you – it seems like there's another element that you are in, engaged in when it comes to not just the, the student um, but also the parents. What's going on there? Well, I just – I've kind of always had this philosophy that you can't leave anybody out. You know, like you can't separate the parent from the child. Like, good luck. Try that. You know, it's not going to work. So you can either like block them out and pretend like they don't, shouldn't have a place in whatever business you're running. But the reality is that they do. So it's like you might as well get them on a team, get them on your team, educate them a little bit, 
and help them understand the direction that you want to go and then give them some tools to, to, to reinforce that. So this year I also had a meeting with every single uh, parent group in the club. I told them the ideas that we were putting forward with the players. I explained to them how they could support that. Um, and then we talked a lot about how, you know, we don't have to do the old dynamic of like, you know, we don't talk until things go bad and then we just get really pissed off at each other. Instead, we can just be cool, you know, like, hey, coach, what's up? And then, you know, hey, coach, my kid's like six. She's not going to be at practice. Okay, cool. No problem. Thanks for letting me know. Those are, it's just casual, like, engagement. And then there's appreciation. You know, hey, coach, man, I really appreciate what you're doing with my kid. Really is making a difference in their lives. Or, hey, coach, you know, my kid's really struggling with how you're talking to her. Is there some, can we sit down and just kind of talk about, like, this, um, this miscommunication? Sure, no problem. So then there's just, like, that daily working kind of stuff. And then for me, the most important level is collaboration. Like, guys, let's get together. Like, let's talk. You know your kid better than I do. The kid knows themselves better than anybody. So let's get in a room. Let's talk it out. Let's, let's get, let's collaborate and inform one another about what's going on so that we can, we can get this kid moving in the right direction, which is the goal of everybody. And that's not always easy. You know, all of us have different levels of of skill and communication, different emotional intelligences and, and, um, but the important thing is just to include them, you know, And, and I'd love to just expand our business even further and, and create services that allow the family to participate even more in what we do um, because, you know, the family is learning through sport too. And the parents are learning a lot through witnessing their kid through sport. They're learning how to become the observer of their child's development. And it's just a whole nother branch that people haven't really approached that um, I'm really passionate about. And I'm going to be doing some work on that in the future. Wow. Do you have um do you feel like there are any things that are starting to develop within the youth sports that might be more of a, a problem? Do you think that technology can help solve some of these problems or do you feel like there might be, um, you know, your hands-on a kind of approach in this new paradigm uh, that you're starting to initiate that might help kind of soften some of the things that you're concerned about? Well, I think the greatest thing about technology is that it puts more information in people's hands. So if you can, if you can, you know, build content platforms that help parents and it's like interesting enough and applicable enough, they're going to want to engage it on some level. And so that's, I think, a really important way to um, connect the, the family. We learned through our exploration of online training that it's very different through a screen, <clears throat> especially with kids and, you know, not just their attention span, but the, the connection element. I mean, <clears throat> people don't realize that when we are in a space together, we are connected energetically through the, through the, um, the magnetic field. And so, like even being six feet apart through social spacing minimizes the electromagnetic field and play of energies between us, right? So like actually being physically closer is extremely valuable to us. So when you're trying to connect with a kid and kind of motivate them and inspire them and there's zero electromagnetic field engagement, there's, there's a lessening of learning. There's a lessening of transfer of information and energy. And so it's definitely not going to be the solution. And and if people try to make it the solution, it's going to be a struggle. But I think, you know, areas where technology can help is, you know, providing film, for example, which gives kids that observer um, opportunity. I think that there's 
um, the mirroring effect that comes into play. Like when you watch somebody do something really, really well, you just sort of start to absorb that through, you know, the mirror neurons and the way we wire. I mean, kids learn primarily, especially one through eight, by mirroring their environment. So we all know that that's just one of the most important ways for us to learn. So, you know, that kind of technology I think would be really helpful. And, um, you know, there, there's other things that you can do. Virtual reality would allow people to maybe mirror particular movements with sensory systems, you know, for me, I'm not necessarily in, interested in sports um, becoming this perfect-looking skill, um, high level of execution environment. Like, I've done that. It's cool, but it's a little bit devoid of spirit. What I'm more interested in using is using sports as a vehicle for transformation, and we're playing the sport, and we're playing it amazing, right? Like, I'm not doing any kicks that aren't hitting my target. I'm not taking any swings without the focus on my technique. But there is this whole other piece that is driving it, you know? I'm doing it with emotional content. I'm doing it with personal awareness. I'm doing it with single-pointed focus and coherent and a coherent heart and mind that are really in tune with, with the meaning and the power of the action that I'm taking. And, I mean, if we have individuals that are training on that level at, at 12, 14, 16, and 18, I mean, imagine what they're going to be capable of in the business world or, um, you know, just even in their own families. You know, they're, they're going to be engaging on a whole other level, and that's really exciting to me. I know when you start opening up the, the whole human nature into a very positive direction, and you start getting rid of a lot of the, the negativity, boy, there's all kinds of things that can just start to happen. It's just really remarkable. Um, I was, you know, we're kind of starting to wind down here, and I was just wondering if there are any things or any concerns that you might have with youth sports and how it's moving and what you're seeing and how the sport is evolving that uh, might have more of a, I don't know, maybe a negative impact. Do you see anything that's out there that could be negative? Well, um, competition, you know, um, there's a lot the of nature of competition. Levels. Yeah. There's just a lot of unhealthy levels of competition right now. Um, and a lot of that's in the youth market, you know, because, because everybody is susceptible to success and, and everybody is susceptible to the definition of success that they're provided. You know, like if I tell our 10 year old that, success is winning first place in national championships, what do they do? They start applying themselves towards that avenue of success. Now, it is not good for 10-year-olds to start to, to apply themselves to success on that level because it demands things that they shouldn't be focused on at that age, right? So um, it's very easy to move players psychologically, emotionally, physically, and mentally in directions that are not healthy because life is about stages and certain things should be developed at different stages. And so in, in, in kind of a summary way, the intensity level can just be uh, way ahead of schedule and, and um, not helpful in, in ultimately the person's development. And so that's why I'm, I'm really working hard to uh, redevelop this uh, idea of competition and shift it into collaboration and contribution because at any age you can contribute at any level you can contribute and you can contribute um, regardless of 
what your contribution is. And, and if that's the model, then everybody feels valued on some level. And at the end of the day, I'm interested in building really confident, valued people in this community because they're the only people that can help us. You know, tr- tr- putting people through environments that just make them feel terrible, like that, they're not going to help us and they're not going to help themselves. So a lot of what we need to do at the youth sports level is build esteem and build confidence. And um, you, you can't always do that through the competition model. So I think moving into uh, contribution and collaboration is, is a much better uh, way of looking at it, you know. And then I think um, just in terms of, um, you know, how people are – how people are approaching sports as a means to an end. You know, kids are playing sports because they're fun. They are playing them because they like being active. They're playing them for social reasons, and and that's why they should be playing them. Now, if you're good enough to get a college scholarship, awesome. But the the pressure sometimes that the community, the culture, the society, social, Instagram, Facebook, and awards and all that stuff is is not conscious. It's very unconscious pressure that the kids really, really feel. And um, it it distorts the value and meaning of the game. And um, so I think there's a lot of things that we need to do to, uh, to help the kids understand what, what they're doing, why they're doing it and, and how to, how to enjoy it, even though there there is an end, so to speak. Um, how to how to go through the process in a better way, and and so I think the things that I'm at least bringing to the table, gives them a way to experience it in a lot more ways. You know, maybe they're still going to be stressed about something, or, or maybe be a, a little too competitive or something. But they're also going to have access to these other things, and, and eventually, I feel like those other things are going to win out because I know that they feel good and and they build you as a person. Yeah, we're we're definitely they're, they're not designed for to be performance machines no and you can't no, you no. can't put it that way you know so you have to kind of bring out something different absolutely yeah and you know like why do people like surfing like let you know let's go to that it's because it's not at all reward based it's not performance based it's like figure out how to ride the wave as best you can and like enjoy it <laughs> And, um, yeah. and it's like all, all I could attempt to find should, that. should carry that spirit, that creativity. That's how, I, that's how I felt when I went to surf. I just wanted to surf. It was just so much fun to be able to go do that and, and having to learn. Of course, it, there was a lot of danger. I mean, when you really started getting into the bigger ways, there was a danger element to it. But that was also part of the exhilaration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Dana, we're kind of starting to wind down here. So I'm going to give you a moment here to kind of give us your last words and maybe what your takeaway is for the, this evening. And then when you're done, why don't you go ahead and, and give us your contact information and how people can can t- contact you. Okay, awesome. Well, before I begin, I just want to thank you so much for having me and um, just let you know how much I appreciate all the research you've done into all the areas of study that, you know, have, have attracted your intellect and passion. I've learned so much from you. You've been just an incredible mentor for me. And um, your book, Interviewing Jesus, is so fantastic. And what you've been able to understand about Jesus and his transformation and, and his incredible modeling for all of us, um, it's just so extraordinary in this time when we really need leaders to follow. And, and as we all know, Jesus was an incredible leader. So, you know, just, just thank you so much, David. And um, I'm, I'm just so excited to, to continue to, to be a part of your world and um, see what happens next for you. Uh, for me, well, 
you know, yeah, for me, um, you know, I just, I just want to give, that's it. I just want to give as much as I can. I've been really, really blessed to have a beautiful life and learn a lot. And I'm, I'm just starting to consolidate a lot of different things. And uh, I'm excited about what's next for me. Um, I, I really just want to teach the things that I feel like are living within me. And um, that's a lot about sports. It's a lot about the heart. It's about, you know, just really treating yourself better and learning how to live happily and, take care of yourself so that you can have a beautiful life. And uh, so, you know, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but, you know, if you guys are interested and have enjoyed this tonight, you know, check out my website, DanaBurkholder.com. My phone number's on there. My email's on there. And uh, I'm on Facebook, um, Dana Burkholder, DBVB. I'm on uh, YouTube, Dana Burkholder. I am on Instagram, Dana Burkholder, VB. That's Dana Burkholder VB. And, uh, yeah, you know, and just Google. You know, Google's really great. Uh, or start pages if you're kind of into that kind of searching. So, yeah, thank you so much. And um, what was the last thing I was supposed well, to do? I forgot. You did it all. Oh, good. Dana, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, this is going to conclude our show. Thank you so much. You were a terrific guest. You were very, very informative. And I just love talking with you. So um, I also want to thank all of my listeners. Uh, Just know that you are the lifeblood of our show. So, Dana, good night, and thank you very much for being on the show. Also, um, you can find me on Nightlight on the YouTube channel. I'm going to ask everybody, you know, if you really like the channel, please hit the subscribe button. It helps us out a lot. Also, we have plenty of archives for everybody to listen to, and there's lots to listen to, so you have plenty to uh, enjoy. So I'm your host, David Collis, and you can find me at www.davidcollis.com. Good night, and have a great tomorrow, and discover the magic, and it's a brand new day. Thank you, everybody.